you've got your Bibles open to, we'll actually start in Luke 12, uh, and then 1 Kings chapter 21. Here's the bad news. Every now and again, we've been going through this study in 1 Kings, and the promise is that we don't skip anything, that we go through all the passages. This is one that I want you to know today. Um, I'm not really trying to hammer home an issue. It's just what's next. And we're going to talk today about a subject that actually is not talked about a ton in churches, and uh, but it's very, very prevalent in our sin lives, and that is the issue of coveting, okay? Our study today starts with this question. Have you ever wanted something that belonged to somebody else? Have you ever wanted something that belonged to somebody else? I can tell you, uh, my family, we have a three-and-a-half-year-old named Zeke. He's the youngest of four. Uh, and at three-and-a-half, there is nothing he wants that someone else doesn't already have. I mean, that's just the way that it goes. With older siblings and the way that my kids go, they are 11, 9, 7, and then Zeke is three-and-a-half. And so for between 11, or for 11, 9, and 7, they've got some things that they possess. They've kind of learned the ways of our house and the ways of the world at this point, but the three and a half year old, man, if it is in somebody else's hands right now, he wants it for himself. It doesn't matter if it's candy. I mean, he just wants whatever it is that somebody else has and he tries to do whatever he can to get that thing. What's so interesting is some of us in our interpersonal relationships, in our time at work, in our interactions in the community, we never grow beyond that three and a half year old mindset. And a lot of times God bestows upon us some amazing blessing, and we miss the joy and the peace of those blessings, specifically because we just want what somebody else has. It will absolutely destroy you from top to bottom. And Jesus tries to, hide, tries to help us with that in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Flip with me, if you will, Luke chapter 12, then save your spot in 1 Kings 21, because we're going to go back to that as well. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Here's what Jesus says. It says, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now stop right there for just a minute. The lead in for this is that Jesus is about to preach an event. And at the event, it's said in the earlier part of the passage that people were trampling on one another to get to him. They know that he is bringing life and truth and his teaching is so powerful. They just want to get as close as they possibly can because they want to hear everything every syllable of the message. Well, here's the lead in. They get together. Jesus is about to preach his message. He's about to share the truths of eternal life. And all of a sudden somebody goes, hey, teacher, while we're here, because you have authority, because these people seem to listen to you, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. Look at what Jesus says here. This is kind of harsh. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me judge or an arbiter between you? Arbiter, again, this idea of being a lawyer. He goes, who made me your judge or lawyer, dude? Now look at what he says next. Then he said to him, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Underline all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The literal translation of all kinds of greed is that old school word, covetousness. The idea of wanting something for yourself that belongs to someone else. Jesus' response is, dude, who made me your lawyer? Who made me your judge? I love that because when you think of the eternal nature of Jesus, he came to be our advocate, but not to try to just give us a better life. He came that we might have life more abundantly, but he is that perfect sacrifice for our sin. He is our Messiah first and foremost. He says, watch out. 
and be on your guard against covetousness because a man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. I want you to consider this for just a minute. I forgot to put those down. I want you to consider this for just a minute. This man has the most incredible thing at his disposal, the son of almighty God, and he could ask him any question. Have you ever thought about that before when we get to heaven? What question would you ask Jesus? This dude has that opportunity on earth. And do you know what he wastes it on? Will you tell my brother to share the inheritance with me? Now, before you judge that man too harshly, how in the world does he get to that point? The same way any one of us does. Through that little bitty virus of covetousness, wanting something that belongs to someone else or that's under someone else's control, and we desire it so much that when we have the Son of God there in front of us and a crowd of people waiting to hear the message of eternal life, we think that we can ask if we could have our brothers share the inheritance with us, that that is just as important as Jesus sharing the message of eternal life. How in the world do you get to that point? Again, it's a very slow-moving virus. By the way, uh, if you're taking notes, write this down. Many of the worst parts of humanity stem from the seemingly insignificant sin of coveting. Let me say that again. Many of the worst parts of humanity stem from the seemingly insignificant sin of coveting. If you are a, uh, a student of the Ten Commandments, it is the Tenth Commandment. It almost seems like a tack on there at the end. But if you really consider covetousness, war stems from this sin. When you really think of the sin of covetousness, adultery stems from this sin. When you really think again of the awful things that end up coming to define our lives that we never ever wanted to define it, it all stems from this seemingly insignificant sin of coveting, wanting something that belongs to somebody else. Here's what Jesus has to say about that. I didn't put this in your notes, but if you want to look at Luke 12, verses 16 through 21, Jesus tells a little story about this. It says, and Jesus told them a parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my, all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Now the picture here is not Jesus saying that it is evil to be rich, but what he is saying is that if your entire life is about accumulating more stuff, you got to remember that a day is coming when it will no longer belong to you because your treasure in heaven is what you're going to have for eternity. You can't take it with you. You ever heard that old saying? You can't take it with you. And man, we live in a society right now where there's a lot of stuff that we can accumulate. There's a lot of things that we can have, but but ask any one of the old pharaohs who tried to take it with them. Their stuff's in a museum now, including their own carcass, their own body. They couldn't even maintain their own carcass in the ground in those pyramids. It's now in a museum for all of us to go and to look at, right? Even their own carcass no longer belongs to them. Jesus says, if you think if I can just have more stuff, if I can just get that carrot that's in front of me, if I can just amass more things, then eventually I can take it easy and I can retire with all my stuff. Jesus says, don't forget, desiring things that you don't have 
accumulation of stuff in your lifetime, in the end, the Lord says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. I've always found that interesting because there's a proverb where it says it's a sin to call someone you fool, specifically that term that's used right there. The picture is that you fool is something very, very hateful and harmful to say to somebody. But Jesus uses it in context. And it's not sinful to say it when someone has given their life to the pursuit of money and stuff. If you're taking notes, our big million dollar question, how does coveting take over our lives? How does coveting take over our lives? If you're the person that came to church for the first time in a long time at Easter, and then you showed up today and were like, what's the pastor doing? Why is he preaching at me? I'm telling you, go back and watch the videotape. We start at the top of the passage, and we work our way down. The Lord wanted you to hear this one today. How does coveting take over our lives? Now flip over to 1 Kings chapter 21. We're going to continue our study of the life of Ahab and Elijah, and this one specifically is going to focus on Ahab today. All right? First First Kings chapter 21, and we're going to start in verse 1. This is the process of how coveting starts as something small, but then eventually has massive ramifications. Watch what happens. First Kings 21, starting in verse 1. It says, now sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. Okay, underline Naboth. He's our, he's our secondary character today. It says, the vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard and use it for, veg and use it for a vegetable garden since it's close to my palace and in exchange I will give you a better vineyard or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it is worth. Now look at this, verse three. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my father's. So Ahab went home sullen and angry, underline sullen and angry, because Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers, and he lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. Underline, he laid on his bed sulking and refused to eat. Now Ahab is the king in Israel. He has more stuff than anyone in the entire country at this point. He has power, he has influence at his disposal, and again, in this moment, there is a vineyard, something that is being used for generations to grow grapes for wine, and he comes up and goes, you know, in proximity, that should be my vegetable garden. That should be the palace vegetable garden. And then he comes up in his head with an apples to apples trade. I'll give you a better spot for vines. I'll give you a better spot for your vineyard. But you need to give that to me. All of a sudden, he gets something that anyone in leadership doesn't like to hear. He gets the word no. And not just the word no, but the reason behind it is what drives him so crazy. It's a no, not just now, but it's a no for forever. The Lord forbid that we do anything else on this land. It's my father's inheritance. I've got to keep this, and I am the caretaker of the family legacy. Surely you understand that as the king in Israel. Surely you understand that as the caretaker of our country. I can't give this to you, even though it would be helpful to you, and even though it would be something that's in close proximity to you. Instead of hearing and respecting a no, Instead, Ahab can't let it go. That's the way coveting works. 
someone tells us no, and instead of respecting the boundary, and listen, respecting that person as another human being, instead, we don't take no for an answer. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? How does covenanting take over our lives? Number one, we refuse to respect a boundary. We refuse to respect a boundary. I told you some of the worst sins in the history of the world stem from this seemingly insignificant sin. When you think about the sin of rape or abuse, covetousness is the root of that sin. When you think of war, covetousness, wanting what someone else has that they will not give to you, is a root for those sins. It's bizarre to think when we can't respect the boundary in dating, in work, with money, with property, even with government, when we refuse to respect the boundary, again, coveting has taken root in our lives. Now, just for the record, there's some of you that say, I work in sales, and we've been taught don't take no for an answer. Now, there's a difference in trying to sell someone a product when you don't take no for an answer, when you're trying to help them or assist them in their lives, or again, you're trying to uh, sell a certain product. Coveting is the idea that what you have should be mine. That's the difference. Not take no for an answer, but to think to yourself, what you have should be mine. And then all of a sudden it turns into what you have can be mine, what you have could be mine, and then it becomes what you have will be mine. If you're taking notes, write this down. Unchecked desire gives way to obsession, and unchecked obsession will take you places you never intended to go. Let me say that again. Unchecked desire gives way to obsession, and unchecked obsession will take you places you never intended to go. One of the best examples of that in Scripture is the story of the prodigal son. In the parable of the prodigal son, Jesus talks about a young man who grows up in an affluent family. The father has many servants. The father has lots of land. The father's got lots of livestock. And do you remember in the story? It says the young man becomes so consumed with wanting his inheritance that he looks at his father and says, basically, I wish you were dead so that I could have my half of the estate. How in the world do you get to a point where you look at your parent and say, I wish you were dead, specifically so that I could have the stuff that will be due me when you die. It's that virus of covetousness. I deserve it just like Ahab, apples to apples. I could give you something that's better. I could have a better life for myself. I wouldn't have to travel as far for my vegetables. That is the basic principle of 1 Kings 21. And it ends up consuming him to where he can't even eat the food that he has. He won't even eat anything. He's laying on the bed just writhing in frustration because covetousness has taken all joy and all peace from his life. The prodigal son eventually is so awful to his father that the father then says, you know what, to get you off my back, I will sell half the farm, I will sell half the livestock, I'll sell half the house, and I'll even make, I'll even find ways uh, that we can reallot the servants so that we can still take care of their families, but we've got to do this another way. And in the story of the prodigal son, the father gives him his share, the son squanders it on what scripture calls wild living, and then the whole story ends with the son finally waking up when he has lost and squandered everything. That's what covetousness does to us. It leaves us racked 
and empty at the end with nothing to show for it. We refuse to respect the boundary. It begs the question today, and some of you, maybe the whole reason you're here is to hear this question. Is there a no that you need to respect? Is there a no that you need to respect? Is there someone in your life that has been telling you no on something and rather than respecting the boundary, you've just tried to chip away and chip away and chip away? The no is there for a reason. God is bigger than some of the no's that we face in our lives. But a lot of times we have to have faith that the Lord is the one who has it in hand rather than trying to force it or create it on our own. When we push the issue, we are right on the cusp of some really wicked sin. Now look at what happens in verse uh, 5. Here's what takes place next. Verse 5, his wife Jezebel was very, very wicked. His wife Jezebel came in and she asked him, why are you so sullen? Why don't you eat? He answered her, because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Verse 7, Jezebel, his wife, said, is that how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you that vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Now stop right there for just a minute. Jezebel is known as one of the most wicked characters in all of Scripture. And she has laid dormant in our story for just a little bit of time. Every time she's made a threat, it's been thwarted by the power of Almighty God. But Jezebel sees an opening where she can not only get back in the king's good graces, but she can get back as a decision maker in the house of Israel. She can get back into politics. It's a house of cards situation right here, all right? So guess what happens? She can get back in the flow, she can get back in the good graces of the king, and she looks at him and says, how about this? I know you're upset, you're the king in Israel, you should not have to be upset like this, and then she goes, I'll just take care of it. That's what happens with covetousness. We eventually find accomplices that see the need in our lives, and they are willing many times to do way worse stuff than we were ever willing to do, but we have shared the burden with them of our desire. We've shared again with them the burden of our addiction, and all of a sudden they go, hmm, I could have power over them if I can get them what they want. If you're taking notes, write this down. How does coveting take over our lives? Number one, we refuse to respect the boundary, and number Number two, we start talking to the wrong people. We start talking to the wrong people. Lest you believe, or lest you think I'm, uh, I'd like to give you a parable here, okay? It is the parable of Clark Griswold in Christmas Vacation. Did you see that movie? It's one of my favorites to watch every Christmas. In Clark Griswold, or in, uh, in uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Clark Griswold comes into a covetous spot over a bonus that he feels like he is supposed to receive, okay? I'm going to spoil the movie for you, but you had like 40 years to see it, okay? So here's the deal. In the movie, he's going to get the Christmas bonus, and with the whole family around, his goal is, if he can get as much money as he got the year before, then he's going to build a swimming pool in the backyard so that the whole family can do it. And then on the day he gets the bonus check, he announces to the family that he's going to fly everybody out if there's enough left over so that they can be there for the dedication of the pool. So the whole family's watching, and do you remember? All of a sudden, he is coveted, he's wanted what he doesn't have the whole time, he's wanted that check so badly, he feels 
feels like he deserves it, just like Ahab. He feels like he deserves it. He's going to do good things with it. And all of a sudden, the check comes in, and it's not a check at all. In front of the family, he opens it, and it's a subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club. It's not a bonus at all. It's just a small gift that really was a slap in the face. So what does he do? Because he has been talking to the family, all of a sudden he has invited a whole bunch of other people into the problem, including Cousin Eddie. You gotta love Cousin Eddie in that show. You know what I mean? He's just so awful. You just gotta love it. Sometimes characters are so awful, they're, they're lovable. And that's Cousin Eddie in the deal. And you remember? All of a sudden, Clark blows up, shares everything on his mind, shares the frustration that he's had. And again, covetousness is the heart behind it. He wants what he can't have. And all of a sudden, Cousin Eddie goes, I'll take care of it. He goes, and do you remember? He kidnaps the boss on Christmas Eve, kidnaps the boss in his, uh, in his pajamas and puts a big bow on him and like chains around his arms and legs and he walks him in, kicking him as the rear end and the rear end as he walks him up to the door and Clark's eyes are huge. He was angry with his boss but he never intended for it to get to that point. That's the same way with covetousness. If you have this way about you that you want something that you desire it so much that you would do anything to get it it stirs you with such anger or in the case of Ahab to the point that he can't even get out of bed or eat something because he's so angry because he's so filled with this obsession all it takes is one person to go hmm I could get in their good graces I could get into an intimate relationship with them I know their addiction I know what they want and all I have to do is provide that thing and then I can call the shots in their lives. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? Some acquaintances become accomplices when we reveal to them our private sinful pursuits. Let me say that again. Some acquaintances become accomplices when we reveal to them our private sinful pursuits. Now, just for the record, we as believers in Christ believe in confessing our sin and that when we do so, we share that burden with one another as we pursue righteousness. The accomplices come up when you share the sin, but it's with someone who doesn't share the same integrity that you have in Christ. And all of a sudden, they become an accomplice and they desire to provide that thing for you or assist you in your pursuit of that thing. Some acquaintances become accomplices when we reveal to them our private pursuits. Save your spot there in 1 Kings. I want to read you Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. If you're struggling with this, this is a really great verse for you to memorize. Proverbs 13, verse 20 says this, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. What a powerful word for us to remember. If you're at a point where you can feel the seeds of covetousness starting to take over your life, surround yourself with godly people. If you surround yourself with potential accomplices, don't be surprised when one of them makes a move on your behalf and then all of a sudden you are tied to it. Clark Griswold in the scene in the living room where the police bust in and bust out all his windows happens because he shared the sinful pursuit with the family. Cousin Eddie does something about it, but Clark is going to be the one to pay for it. It's the way that covetousness works. Now flip over to 1 Kings 21 and we'll look at our last part of the passage. 1 Kings 21 verses 8 through 14. 
This is such a sad story. Listen to this. It says, so Jezebel wrote letters in Ahab's name. Underline Jezebel wrote letters in Ahab's name. She placed his seal on them and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth, uh, in Naboth's city with him. In those letters she wrote, proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people, but seat two scoundrels opposite him, underline two scoundrels opposite him, and have them testify that he has cursed both God and the king. Underline, have him testify that, they've, that he has cursed both God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. It says, so the elders and nobles, underline the elders and nobles, these are more accomplices, who lived in Naboth's city, did as Jezebel directed in the letter that she had written to him, or written to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people. Then two scoundrels came and sat opposite him and brought charges against Naoth, uh, Naoth, uh, Naboth before uh, the people, saying, Naboth has cursed both God and the king. So they took him outside the city and they stoned him to death. Then they sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned and he is dead. Now stop right there for just a minute. Uh, this is what it looks like when there is no due process, by the way. Uh, it has not changed in thousands of years. We have a situation that takes place here where all of a sudden Jezebel comes up and the problem with unholy accomplices is they are already connected to other unholy accomplices. And so because of that, you've got Ahab spewing his frustration. His wife hears it and all of a sudden Jezebel goes, I'll take care of it for you. I'll take care of it for you. She makes phone calls to wicked leadership in that town that Naboth was in and all of a sudden they not only set him up but they find a way to take his life and ruin his reputation all at the same time. If you're taking notes, how does coveting take over our lives? Number one, we, ref we refuse to respect the boundary. Number two, we start talking to the wrong people. And number three, we green light a scheme. We green light a scheme. At the end of verse 7, when she says, I'll take care of it, Ahab could have said, no, I'm just blowing off steam. I'm sorry. I want him protected. But in his heart of hearts, he knows Jezebel. He knows what she's done in the past that we've already read about as we've gone through this study. And he thinks to himself, you know, maybe if I just don't know what's happening, then I can just reap the benefits when it does fall to pieces. If there is anything to learn about this era in American history, it's that again, what is wrong will always be wrong. And what is right will always be right. What is true will always be true. Covetousness is this desire that I want what somebody else has. And it starts off as something so small I just don't like hearing the word no. It erupts into the fact that everyone around us can sense it and experience it. And then all of a sudden, we choose to look the other way and ask no questions when things are beginning to stir that we know are wicked. And all of a sudden, the blood ends up on our hands. If you're taking notes, one of the joys that we can take in the midst of this is knowing that God sees everything. If you're taking notes, write this down. God sees what others do not in your life and what you do not in others' lives. God sees what others do not in your life 
and what others, or excuse me, God sees what others do not in your life and what you do not in others' lives. The Lord sees everything. One of the great American novels is a novel called The Great Gatsby uh, by F. Scott Fitzgerald, if you've ever heard or ever read it before. I remember reading, I think it was in the eighth grade, uh, that I read Great Gatsby for the first time. Do you remember the key figure that is not an actual person, but is just a thing in the book? It's the billboard with the eyes. It was, I believe, a, a billboard for, uh, for, uh, for uh, spectacles, for glasses. And in the story, all this stuff happens. All these secrets are revealed from the characters, from Gatsby to Tom to Daisy, to all the different characters have these secrets on the inside. And even the narrator that's right, or even as you go through and the character that's watching things unfold, he still doesn't quite know everything. But the eyes, the eyes are the eyes of God, and they see everything. They see even what is unseen. John writes it this way in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Whether you are the one who actively participates in the scheme, or you are the one who greenlit the scheme, or if you're the one who just looked the other way and pretended that you had no involvement, God still knows and covetousness, covetousness pushes us to look the other way. I've thought often about the Apostle Paul and his story with this. Do you remember the first time that Saul is mentioned in Scripture who would become the Apostle Paul? It's in the story of the stoning of Stephen. We are introduced to the great church planter of all time. We are introduced to one of the greatest theological minds of all time, where it says, as they are stoning Stephen, the first Christian martyr, that Saul is present and guarding the coats, showing his approval for the killing. He carries the weight of that his entire life. Thank God for Jesus to take that sin and shame away from us. But the apostle Paul stood and guarded the coats and carried the guilt and shame until he comes to Christ he carries it just like he had been the one who threw the stones himself. Covetousness tries to trick us into thinking that if we don't throw the stones, if we don't say the words as the scoundrels in the room, that we are not as sinful as those who actively participate. But we are, and the guilt is the same. It requires Christ's forgiveness. Otherwise, it stands between us and a relationship and fellowship with Almighty God. It begs the final question today. Are you allowing or enabling evil to get what you want? Let me say it again. Are you allowing or enabling evil in order to get what you want? I told you this wasn't a fun one today, but if we dig deep and figure out why the Lord has put this before us, I think that we have a real opportunity for God to steer us away from some things that truly could destroy us. Thank you for listening today. Let's bow our heads for prayer.